0: Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ott. As part of the cross-cultural missions community, you, I have no doubt, have already thought about the role of service. Service meaning the good deeds, the ministry of kindness in the work of mission. Yes, missiologists and theologians alike think deeply and write much on this topic, but practically speaking, social service or community service is probably an important part of your daily life, of your ministry strategy. If you are serving cross-culturally in the world of aid and development, ADRA for example, community service is right at the center. It's also true for many center of influence type projects in Adventist cross-cultural missions. In today's interview, we have Pastor Ken Osborne take the lead. Ken serves as a pastor for Adventist missionaries, or more formally called pastoral care specialist on the General Conference Missionary Care Team. Ken interviews Pastor and Dr. Sun Quan Dr. Quan serves as North America Division Adventist Community Services Department Director. Please find the link to Elder Quan's bio in the show notes, but I would like to highlight tremendous education and cross-cultural experience, as well as specialization and commitment that Dr. Kwon has for community services and outreach. Let's hear their interview today.
1: Welcome to the Institute of World Mission weekly podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and
2: witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field.
1: Hello, this is Ken Osborne, a member of the Missionary Care Team from the General Conference. And I have the privilege here today of having Sung Kwan, the um, Executive Director for the Adventist Community Services from the North American Division, join me.
2: Welcome, Sung.
1: And, Thank uh, you for having me, sir. Yes. Okay. I, I, you know, some people might want to know why I had not um, addressed you with the honorifics we normally go through, but that's always been a problem. Now, you've never had a problem in addressing me as sir, but for me, it was a little more difficult for you. Um, you know, we first met in 2001 at the North American Division office. I was serving at that time as an associate treasurer for the division, and you came from the um, Dayton Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, as I recall, to to join the, the staff of the North American Division. Now, the reason I've had a little bit of a difficulty through the years, you would only address me as sir, and um, perhaps we'll be able to just address that a little as part of, of your history. But... Um, I first called you master, because when I found out that you were a black belt in Taekwondo, I thought, okay, this is an easy handle. Then it became um, doctor, because not only did you get a D-min from Andrews, but you also got a PhD in leadership. So then I started calling you doctor. And um, then... A bit later, it came to addressing you as major, maybe the latest, because I guess you are serving as a chaplain in the Civil Aviation Patrol Division of, of the U.S. So welcome to our, our time. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, how, um, you know, where you were born, and, and um, then we'll look at how it is that you even came to Adventism.
2: Sure, sir. Uh, as I said, it's my privilege to be part of this dialogue and thank you for the opportunity to share uh, my uh, journey with our Lord Jesus Christ. I was born in South Korea and migrated to United States in 1982. And I grew up in a family of, uh, with Buddhist and Catholic uh, beliefs as I you know reflect on my life it is definitely clear that God has been leading me on this journey in Korea during my growing up years my mother actually introduced me to Eastern philosophies like Buddhism and Confucianism and my father introduced me to Christianity. In fact, my grandmother uh, would take me to a Sunday mosque, you know, faithfully. <laughs> so I found both beliefs uh, to be thought-provoking and challenging. But religion was not a matter of life or death to me at the time. I viewed religion simply as the process. Uh, creatures experience in a quest to understand the purpose of life and upholding its value. Okay.
1: So then when you came to the US, you really had no awareness of the Seventh-day Adventist Church or who Seventh-day Adventists
2: were? Or did you have any idea? Well, I tell you, sir, you know, I, I pursued my undergraduate studies in business administration. And during this time, I had an opportunity to work as a branch manager uh, for Colorex, which was photo laboratory in Maryland. And beyond, you know, unbeknownst to me, God had uh, appointed this time and place for my life. You know, the owner of the corporation was Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you know, who came from India. But you Uh, didn't that initially. No, I didn't. You know, in fact, you know, he has witnessed to me by sharing Ellen G. Weiss books and and uh, first I thought, oh, here's another, you know, religious man, perhaps Hinduism, because <laughs> he's from India, uh, until I began reading the books and discovered that it was about Jesus Christ and the God who is the creator, redeemer and merciful, graceful judge. So after four years actually, of reading and searching and studying the Bible, you know, not for intellectual biblical concepts, but to discover Jesus as my Lord and Savior, uh, my wife and I you know we decided to be baptized in 1991. Mm-hmm. So despite of my mother's background, Buddhism, my father's uh, Catholicism, uh, we became Seventh Day Adventists. So I'm, I'm just
1: curious. You referenced the fact that he immediately had started sharing L.G. White books with you. So can I assume that he started out with great controversy to,
2: you know, put <laughs> in perspective of what's going on in the world? No, sir. Actually, he shared uh, uh, desires of age first, and then, you know, Steps to Christ and Object Lesson and so forth. In fact, I am uh, glad he did that. Looking back, if I read Great Controversy first, the first choice of book, I would have probably rejected the message altogether. Because I'm from Korea, and uh, the Great Controversy, there's no uh, record or indication of any Asian history it, this is all about Middle East so and then why America has to be the center of the entire universe <laughs> so I would have just you know easily rejected but but he introduced great controversy at the end of that journey uh after I discovered God who is graceful merciful creator and I be, before I I discovered the, you know a uh, Jesus and then I came to great controversy and made a sense. It, it, it connected us. So I was able to embrace that writing in you know, a wholeheartedly. But you're right, sir, if it was the first choice yeah, I would have a probably hard time you know, accepting that message. Okay.
1: And now I take it that that it would have been in Ohio where this all took place. And and I think from what you've described to me, he was very patient. He wasn't trying to push you into accepting something, but it, it was over the course of four years that then you came to accept
2: what he was presenting. Yes. Yeah. It was a four years of a friendship uh, development, okay. you know, especially person like me from you know Asian background, the trust is critical matter. You know, I cannot just accept the message based on intellectual uh, cognitive disposition. You know, I have to trust the messenger first. And then when I have a complete trust in messenger, that I can trust that message, that messenger has to share. So that was uh, somewhat more of a a dilemma, I I guess, sometimes we encounter, you know, we rather uh, passing the message rather than we becoming the faithful, trustworthy messenger first. Okay.
1: And I I take it that in a very real sense, he entered into your life, but in a non-threatening sort of way, not intrusive, but he was there and, and so largely you're coming in. Maybe it's kind of what we have referred to through the years as friendship evangelism,
2: almost. Oh, absolutely, sir. Through that evangelism, he began to influence uh, the Christian values and principles of life and the uh, different worldview. And through the continuum of their friendship, he led me to uh, Jesus. You know, he, he led me to the you know, commitment to follow Jesus, but he is still, you know, uh, uh, part of my life, the, the whole journey. And you know, sometimes after we baptize individuals, we move on to another person as like a next project. But no, it, this this has been a lifelong friendship. The journey, even today, we interact and uh, we 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 meet and and. Uh, Uh, share uh, our beliefs and and how we are growing in grace. And so, yeah, I believe that life-on-life evangelism is truly based on uh, individuals becoming friends and and, uh, trusting each other.
1: Now, I'm curious because you indicated, I believe that you said you were baptized, was it 1991? Yes, sir. Correct. And 10 years later, you came to the division, Uh, office, the North American Division office, to take on the whole community service um, ministry of the division or that point of emphasis. So I'm curious, what happened during that 10-year period from when you were infant in the Adventist church till you come to the the division office, how it is that community services kind of entered into the picture?
2: Well, after my baptism, you know, with much prayer and and seeking God's will, uh, it became clear to my wife and I, the God was calling me, uh, calling us into his ministry. So we decided to study uh, theology. So I went to Washington Adventist University, formerly known as Columbia Union College, my where own. I graduated. Yeah, where I graduated in 1993. And after uh, receiving a few offers from local conference to serve as youth ministry uh, in a pastor position God revealed his plan to me he was to work in Adventist community services a ministry I had never considered the North American division ACS director at that time Ed the Monte earth offered me an opportunity to serve in Dayton Ohio uh, it was um, it was to initiate an innovative community outreach ministry called Good Neighbor House. It was the first one of its kind in the Adventist church at that time. The ministry is supported by two conferences, uh, the Ohio Conference and Allegheny West Conference and eight churches and Kettering Medical Center. So situated in a very diverse uh, community with the subcultures within cultures, you know, black and white. Uh, issues and conflicts and challenges. So the main focus was to offer um, multiple services like provisional services, food and clothing distribution, but also educational uh, individual development, skill set enhancement and medical, dental and vision clinical care. So I that experience in Good Neighbor House, eight years in Dayton, Ohio, was the foundation that God has uh, equipped me and and uh, developed me uh, as a d- director of uh, ACS ministry in North American Division. So I guess maybe
1: um, a question we could ask is, what is the purpose for Adventist community services or an ACS type of approach? And because we're talking to missionaries, I imagine even ADRA, in a sense, um, is is... If not a direct um, you know brother sister relationship, at least cousins, but are we talking about the same thing and 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 what really is the essence of what um, ACS you what but conclusions thanks, have you reached as to what it is or should sure, be for sir. the church?
2: Well, the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, has actually a long history and the commitment for community services. In 1874, as you remember, Dorcas and Benevolent Association, known as Dorcas Society, was established. And and then 1879, a Good Samaritan Society, mostly the husbands came together and organized that uh, ministry. And then 1953, the General Conference the concept of community services to urban ministry at that time. And then Seventh-day Health and Welfare Services, SAAS, was organized. Then 1972, the name changed from SAAS to Adventist Community Services as a church ministry department. Uh, And then 1983, Adra International was organized as a non-governmental organization, NGO, as a part of the society. And then in 2005, ACS International was uh, reorganized under GC, Sabbath School and Personal Ministry Department. So if you ask me what ACS is about, I would say four major engagements. First, sharing. We proclaim the good news of salvation by actively demonstrating love of God. And second, connecting. We build relationships by connecting people with their communities and families uh, with God. And then third, ministering. We minister to the communities uh, uh, to serve the whole person being well, like physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. And then fourth is actually discipleship we empower and engage members to serve their communities by teaching mentoring and equipping in holistic ministry so through the acs ministry we are trying to educate and equip adventist church members that community services is individual duty and responsibility as Christ's followers as disciples So we should not, you know, institutionalize our uh, personal duty and responsibility, but to fulfill, you know, uh, our calling, our commission, our command to serve God and serve God's people.
1: So are you trying to tell me in effect that, that, you know, ACS or ADRA and the like, it's far more than just good PR, a a PR effort of the church just to put, you know, fly the flag out in front of, of the communities we're part of but not necessarily really becoming integrated into those communities as much
2: as you know. Absolutely, sir, absolutely. And in, in fact, Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Uh, that, that was the reason why the Edra was established. Edra is church owned and operate non-governmental organization, as I said, NGO, a civil society that works at global level, uh, sponsored by the Seventh-day Adventist Church to provide international disaster response and a development. But ACS is organized as a church uh, ministry department, such as youth ministry, health ministry, family ministry, and so forth. So, uh it's not either or it's it, it, both uh, there's a place and time for Edra and acs um, so i mean through this community outreach engagement we are relating uh to one another in our communities uh in a way that we are glorifying god uh, so, i mean that is like a privilege that is the sacred trust uh that god has in you know, blessed us with it So community outreach ministry is not an option. It's not an activity of the church, but a mission of our God. Do
1: you you ever face, you know, individuals in our own community of faith who, who in effect, and maybe this is a little unique to Adventists, but who in effect would say, you know, all you're advocating for is the social gospel. And when we use that term social gospel, I think some people get very kind of uncomfortable, like somehow we are... Um, watering down the the pure gospel, you know the 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 message that we have to give, and like this other is is going to endanger the credibility of of our witness. So what do you say to people who, who viewed all as just well be you know social gospel? Or, mm, we're not sure about that.
2: Well, every time I go to workers' meetings and the camp meetings, I do encounter with mm-hmm. that uh, a sincere question, sir. And, and I hear their concern. In fact, in early 1900s, evangelical Christians have created this dichotomous model of evangelical gospel versus social gospel and have compartmentalized the Christian engagements. But John Stott wrote uh, in his book, Is that Jesus, the words and deeds belong to each other. The words interpreting the deeds and the deeds embodying the words. He did not only announce the good news of the kingdom, he performed visible signs of the kingdom. So in my humble opinion, if anything is clear in Jesus, it is that the announcement and demonstration of a kingdom are at the very core of his message and life it is both words and deeds not either or both tangible and intangible so that church would be sign of salvation tangibly recognizably visibly as a foretaste of the kingdom of god
1: now you know i have in my hand here a a book that um, was uh, i think published by pacific press maybe a couple of years ago Um, You're the author of the book, and the title is Burst the Bubble, Finding Your Passion for Community Outreach. And I I love the cover of the book. Um, If anyone were watching this in a video format, they would see a picture of a church, a very traditional um, American church with the steeple and all, probably out in the country. But very creatively, there is a bubble around the church. I wonder if you could tell us why you chose that title, "Burst the Bubble, and what are the bubbles that, that you're looking at when you wrote this book?
2: Well, you know, I give credit, credit to uh, Pacific Press, uh, their marketing team, a very creative uh, image and whatnot. You know, my, my first choice was Jesus A. Sushi, but uh, they didn't like that title. <laughs> why? <worldwide. laughs> yes, but um, it in my humble opinion that uh, we we have to change change the question so in order to change the result you know i believe that church cannot you know be confined or limited and just worship program church is not just place and time where we meet for weekly appointment and nor is the church only about keeping the traditions and maintaining the status quo? In fact, you know, I believe that we must plan our feet onto tradition, but then grow out of it. We have to grow out of our own tradition. If we do not expand beyond our own traditions, we will be ineffective and inefficient. So we have to change our conversations instead of asking how big is your church or you know, what is your worship attendance like, you know, how many? We should begin to ask, what is our church's collective impact in our community? Mm-hmm. Now, are we making a difference in people's lives? Are we making a difference in our community? You know, you know, I, I, when I found
1: in your book, I, I like the way you expressed it. If I can just do a, a, one or two quotes, you said, perhaps we should stop asking ourselves, what can we do to bring people into our churches? Instead, we should ask, what is God up to in this neighborhood? And what are the ways we need to change in order to engage the people in our community who no longer consider church
2: a part of their lives? Absolutely, sir. That's the reason why instead of asking, how can we become the best church in the community? Instead of that kind of question, we should begin to ask, how can we be the best church for our community with our community? And when we begin to do that and asking that question, I believe heaven will be more populated with the people from every nation, tribe, race, language, or, you name it. Sir. So where there is a change, uh, there will be greater hope for the future of our faith. And that's the reason why in the book, I mentioned five uh, major changes that we need to consider. Number one, changing the culture, of self-serving churchianity to other-serving Christianity. Mm -hmm. And second, shifting the focus from church-based ministry to community-based ministry. And third, transitioning from attractional church to missional church movement. And then fourth, uh, measuring the effectiveness of ministry through long-term sustainable community development and strategic engagement. And the last, uh, the fifth one is equipping disciples through transformational personal leadership development opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of uh, five major components uh, that the book is based on. I see.
1: Now, I know that you've been doing um, some, you know, seminar training type of events so what you're talking about when you say, you know, the ACS thrust, you're not just talking about what works here in the United States, but um, obviously it's maybe some, there are universal principles involved. I think you just, in the last week or two here, spent quite a bit of time with pastors in England. Of course, with COVID, you had to do it online. Uh, could you describe that a little? And then I know you've also done training at Samyuk University
2: back in Korea, your homeland. Um, oh no, yes sir i you know it's been my privilege to uh, torture pastors and church members in the europe both uh, ted and eud and then uh, northern pacific uh, uh, asia divisions and southern asia and it, in fact africa and it's it's been a just amazing uh privilege to share my kimchi theology with them and and then i i share I, I, you know, I share with them that their church properties. just give you examples that their church properties are not their presence in the community, rather their engagement in the community is their true community presence. So I, I challenge my colleagues all over the world, instead of asking people to come and see what we have to offer, I ask them to change the question, we need to begin to ask, well, what are we known for? In our communities how are we relating to one another and and to our community how have we positioned ourselves in our communities have we changed our ways of thinking and working so that we can become contextual and relevant in a church in our community Mm -hmm. i mean that is just not you know applicable to us but i think throughout the you know world I think the principles that you um, teach, and then then I give uh, yes. I was
1: going to say I think the principles that you teach are in a sense where people would say, well, yeah, that's obvious and all, but maybe it isn't so obvious to us. Would you agree? Yeah. I, it, when you go out and do these events, and I've I've observed where you have been,
2: it's like people will say, I never thought of it that way. You know. It, I, I'm glad you asked that question because let me just give you an example based on parable of a prodigal son. You know, we we often focus on the younger son's irresponsibility and how he wasted his inheritance. And um, however, when we look through the context specific perspective of Russian pastors, I was talking to the Russian pastors and, and and they said, this is circumstantial challenge rather than individual problem. They said, the, the parable describe severe famine in the whole country. So they are asking where is the government uh, government's support in this situation. You see, due to the being socialistic society, they would expect the government to take care of all the survivors from the disaster, including younger son. Uh, for them, the story is not about personal responsibility. And then I was talking to Tanzanian pastors and the church members and uh, they said, uh, the story is the, has a serious in a dereliction of duty on community's part because no one gave him anything to eat. How come the community didn't give him anything to eat? You see the Tanzanian society is a collective society. They take care of one another. They even have a phrase called Ubuntu, which means uh, uh, we are because I am, and I am because we are. So we are collective society. So they are saying, how come no one gave him anything to eat? If there is a neighbor in distress among us, uh, we will take care, we will visit, we will provide, we will minister. So they said something wrong with this community around the prodigal son. And they also say this is not about personal responsibility. But here I am, educated from you know, America with the American, I guess, you know, uh, 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 perspective. And, and, and I, I'm trying to explain to them this is about the younger sons squandering his money that he inherited and so forth. Uh, then it dawned on me. And perhaps everyone is right. Russian pastor is right from his worldview and Tanzanian pastor is right based on his worldview. So when the story is experienced through his or her own perspective and the viewpoints of life, you know, we may, you know, see differently. But unfortunately, some of us, you know, so eager to tell others about our own own brand of religion, and and we don't listen to what others are saying, what our neighbors are saying. And because of that, we cannot see what they are experiencing, sir.
1: Okay, I I, I like your use of the prodigal son, the like, I think our time has really come to um, the end of what we can do for today. We barely scratch the surface. I know that you spend what five days at least, and when you do the training in in school settings and all, um, and maybe we should uh, expand this at some time in the future. But um, to make this a good Adventist presentation, I'm wondering if you have any kind of, I'll I'll say, you know, key quotation out of Spirit of Prophecy that maybe gives you some. Sort of a, a, a rooting for what you're trying to accomplish. And maybe we. Oh, would-
2: definitely. Yeah. In fact, before I introduce Alan Rice, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite quotations. Just allow me to say, uh, Luke chapter four, verse eighteen and nineteen, which is, you know, referencing Isaiah sixty-one, verse one and two. To me, this is a messianic missional statement in know, Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of lord's favor so jesus proclaimed the good news of salvation and has ministered to the people who are in need physically mentally socially and spiritually as missional engagement uh we as uh, god's follower you know the disciples must focus on and then in Ellen G. white actually says that in uh, ministry of healing page 144 uh, there is need of coming closer to the people by personal effort if less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry greater result would be seen the poor are to be relieved the sick care for the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. Accompanied by the power of persuasion, power of prayer and the power of love of God. This work will not, cannot be without fruit. I think that's a beautiful message.
1: Right. I think what you probably have reminded all of us who would have listened to this podcast today is that Adventist community services, not as the institution, but as the function within the church, is not something where we just pick and choose, oh, maybe I'll become a part of that. Um, I'll go out on some particular mission in the name of, of ACS. But rather, it's a way of life, I think, that you are trying to instill in each and every person. Privilege we all have of being a part of the ministry um, that you just summarized with that beautiful statement from Ministry of Healing. So I want to thank you, um, Sun Quan, Major, I'll call you today, um, for, your, for your contribution or your participation. And we wish you God's blessing as you continue to serve in the important uh, ministry there of ACS.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you again, sir, for this opportunity to share. Thank you.
0: To conclude, I'd like to highlight again that you can find the link to Dr. Quan's book in the show notes. Its title again, Burst the Bubble, Finding Your Passion for Community Outreach. As missionaries, this is a very likely place for us to find a way to be a legitimate part of our host communities. It's following the Jesus method that counts. Please don't forget to see the upcoming webinars page on the IWM website, alongside with our webinars plan we are preparing special workshops for the global virtual camp meeting coming up our way. If you haven't heard about it yet, stay tuned for the upcoming podcast episodes. I'll tell you much more. My name is Alex Ott and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week.